Now, we are finally out of the feeding of the 5,000. It has taken a while. Uh, and today we are moving on uh, to the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths. And what we're going to see here is Jesus really prioritizing the purposes of God over the desires and pressures of man. We're going to see those, those two uh, come against each other. As Jesus, he faces uh, death threats and ridicule and judgment, but he doesn't give in to them. Instead, he keeps obeying his father and lives incredibly differently and, and contrary to what the world would expect from him and what uh, the world wants from him. Now, this is, this is helpful to us because we have to recognize that a major struggle that we all deal with is people-pleasing, it's fear of man, or love for the world. That we want to be accepted by the world, we want to feel like we fit in. And so we need a Savior who can not do that for us. Who will uh, oppose the world and follow God when we fail to. But we also need a Savior who will lead us out of our slavery to the world and to people and will show us a different way. And so we're going to look for both those things today. A Savior who is far better than we are and a Savior that we can follow into, into greater freedom from these things. So uh, we're going to see three things that Jesus does here. He is going to follow God's timing. He's going to speak God's word and he's going to do God's will. And all those things he's going to do contrary to what the world would ask of him. And we're going to see that he ultimately submits to the Father's purposes so that he might save us, so that he might do those things that we most desperately need him to do for him to be our Savior. So let's turn to John 7, verses 1 through 24. And let's take a look at Jesus' interactions at the Feast of Booths. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone will 
the will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath? If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I make a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus walking a far different path. That makes sense to the world, that he opposes sin, that he speaks into it. He does the things that you call him to in fulfillment of all righteousness. Father, we ask that you would rejoice to see such a Savior. And the Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see him as the Savior and receive his words as the words of you, Father. Lord, would you give us ears to hear, we pray in Christ's name. All right. So we begin with Jesus' submission to the Father's timing. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He could not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. All right, so after the feeding of the 5,000, uh, he's pretty much relegated to the Galilee for a fair amount of time. This is, right, remember, the, the northernmost region. That kind of the, the hub and the temple and the capital Jerusalem, that's all in Judea. But Jesus is kind of stuck in the northern suburbs uh, for fear that they might kill him. Now, why do they want to kill him? Because he healed on the Sabbath. Because he healed a man on the Sabbath who'd been paralyzed for 48 years. Now, that was enough for them. They were ready to kill him then, but then he defended himself and said, well, God works on the Sabbath, so I can too. I'm united to the Father. All right, that sealed the deal. That's the nail in the coffin, and they are ready to kill him, and so he is staying away from Jerusalem. There's a problem, though, because the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. Right, this is called the Feast of Booths. It's a feast of tabernacles, and this is one of three religious holidays on the Jewish calendar that called everyone to go to the temple. Now, this is a kind of fun one. They, uh, you gather sticks and tree limbs and stuff, and you build little like wood forts on top of your houses or uh, along the roadside, and you're supposed to kind of camp out and remember the time when Israel was led through the wilderness for 40 years. But it's like this joyful harvest, and it has a couple of things that are, are kind of central to the celebration. First, there's a, a lamp lighting. And these are like, these are not little, little lights. These are like huge 30-foot towering pillars of fire that were supposed to represent the pillar of fire that led the people through the wilderness those 40 years. 
Likewise, there was supposed to be this, uh, this rite where they would go and seek the water, get it and pour it out on the altar of God, seeking the, the well of salvation. All right, we're going to talk about these things uh, more because Jesus is going to bring them up. But it demands that everyone go to the temple and participate in these things with great joy. So with that, feast at hand, his brothers invite him to Judea. His brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea. that Your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, what, what exactly is going on here? First of all, these are Jesus' brothers, the offspring of Mary and Joseph, and they have a certain understanding of who Jesus is and what he's doing. All right. He is just another miracle worker. And yes, he can do amazing things, and if that's the case, of course, what is he looking to do? He's looking to gain, get a name for himself, to gather to him as many followers as possible. To create for him a following that he might gain a position in Israel. That's, that's kind of the, the unspoken assumption. And the assumption is well, there's a huge feast. Everyone's going to be there. Jesus, you need to be there. Now is the time to strike so the most people can see you. You can do the most amazing miracles and you can get the biggest following. All right. John interprets that comment by his brothers, for not even his brothers believed in him. That's a manifestation, these comments are a manifestation of the fact that they do not believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe he is a savior, they don't believe or understand what he's doing. Right. Because Jesus is not just this kind of street performer who just wants to gather people to himself. No, he's not just trying to get like a, a following. He's not trying to draw a crowd. And we've already seen that he can do that. That people are all too willing to follow him if he just gives them bread. But what do he say? He says, like, you, you don't actually, you're not actually following me. You're just following the, the breadcrumbs. And he doesn't want people simply to to make him a king, they want him to see them as the Savior. He has come to redeem them and save them. He wants them to see him as the, the one pointing to the Father. Who is the, the, that he's the Lamb of God come to, to wash away the sins of the world. There's a much larger agenda here, and they, they aren't on board with it. So they can't possibly see why he wouldn't just go and do a bunch of miracles. Now, it's kind of ironic that they're telling him to do this because Jesus is going to go to Judea. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to have some, some big works to do. Some very public, open works that the whole world for all eternity will see. But he's not going to make a name for himself. He's not going to gather power for himself, he's going to go and be publicly humiliated and shamed and crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. 
It's not cowardice. It is not failure to realize a mission. It's that it's a far greater mission. It is gathering to himself people who will associate himself with them. No, he's looking for people who will trust in him for salvation. And understand his connection to the Father. Yeah. Does your wisdom and your common sense and your obvious sense of what life should be about, is it worldly wisdom or is it gospel wisdom? When you just live normal life, what is life about? Is it about eternal purposes and gospel salvation and the glory to the Father? Or does it sound like it's very much the world? Like, yeah, make as much money as you can. Be great. Make a name for yourself. Do whatever you can to, to get ahead. Go to, the, go to the best school. Find a job with the biggest salary. Be true to yourself. Do what you want before anything else. Right. Are these the worst things? No. They're not sinful things. But Jesus' brothers, they weren't telling Jesus to do horrible things. They were just doing the wrong things, the wrong focus, the wrong point. And we have to ask, like, uh, do, do you live under those kinds of wisdoms? Do you offer them to your kids? Do you have hopes and dreams that they will glorify God or live well in the world? Now, thankfully, we have to admit that, yes, we all do that. We all live by the world standards, and yet we have a great Savior who doesn't, who saves us out of it. And Jesus says, verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I am not going up to the feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After this, he remained in Galilee. All right, so what's Jesus saying? My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. We saw Jesus talk about his connection to the Father. Everything that he does is because his Father has directly told him to do it. He's constantly fulfilling the commandments of God, and therefore he has to wait for his father's timing. He doesn't get to just do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. He's constantly waiting for his father's command. All right, illustration here. Uh, okay, so I had a counseling professor who was an intern as a hospital chaplain. And he realized things about himself, and... One of the instances he told us about was that there's this instance where someone was like calling him desperately to their room. And like, come, come, we need you, we need you, we need you. And so he dropped everything and like ran to these people to help them, only to find out that it wasn't the patient who wanted him, it was like the patient's mom. And she was had this weird agenda and wanted to force the chaplain upon him, and the person who was sick didn't want it at all, and it turned into this, like, giant, like, get out of here. No one wants you. Go away. And his mentor came to him, and he's like, okay, there's, 
there's a rule you should know about being a, a hospital chaplain. Chaplains never run. They never run. Why? Because they're supposed to embody God's timing. And like patience. And the purposes of God are like clearly laid out for us. We are not desperately running after them. And if we're stressed and anxious and losing our minds, we're probably not following God. We're probably following the whims and wills of people who are far less patient and who makes, make demands upon us and cause us to, to, to be burdened by their callings. That's what his brothers are doing. Like they're, they're come right now because the, the iron is hot. Strike where the iron's hot. Get them, get the people while you can. Come. And Jesus is saying, like, that's no. I'm going to follow my father. And there's a much larger plan in place. A plan that I might fulfill every commandment that has ever been given for the sake of humanity, that I might. Reveal the heart of God and his love and care and mercy. That might be like the incarnate one who manifests God to, to the world. That I might die at the right time, innocently and before the world, having fulfilled all righteousness and then cleansing all people from sin. Right? That's not going to happen because he's running after making a name for himself. Or because he's following the whims of people and their plans of worldly success. But then Jesus, he, he also, he says that's true of him, and he cuts, cuts his brothers a little bit. What does he say? He says, your time is always here. What is he saying? He's saying, you're not waiting for God. You're not waiting to fulfill his commandments. You're not waiting to obey. So you can just do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Because you're just sinning and running after the world. And the world doesn't care when you sin. You can do it whenever you want. And you're not fulfilling some sovereign plan. You're just doing whatever you want to do. And so you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. The question becomes, is timing important to you? Do you find yourself like waiting upon God? Do you find the things that you're supposed to do and you are, you're waiting for good opportunities to, to share the gospel with your kids, for the right opportunities to, to encourage or to rebuke? Or is that not really on your mind because... You're not waiting for opportunities to serve God. You just need to serve yourself, and you can do that any time of the day. There's always time to fulfill our selfish desires. Or, if we are anxiously running after people, we never have enough time to please them. It's timing this kind of desperate pursuit of all the things that are running out, all your opportunities to, to please people and gain glory from yourself. Right, thankfully, Jesus is not like that. We have a great Savior who is 
is patient and submitted to God's timing. And he's not anxious. He's not stressed. He's not rushed. There's another reason now why he has to wait, though. Verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So why can Jesus not just run off to uh, to Judea, to Jerusalem, to the temple? Because people there want to kill him. That's just uh, reality. I don't know if his brothers realize that. I don't don't think his brothers were like trying to tempt him into revealing himself and getting killed. Uh, I wouldn't put that against a brother, right? (laughs) If you've had siblings, you know that's true, Um, in part. Uh, But yeah, he's not free to do whatever he likes because he has made himself an enemy with the world by calling it sinful. He has called out their sin, and therefore the world hates him. So much that that they want to kill him, he lives every single day behind enemy lines. An enemy of the world. And that's, once again, his brothers can go whenever they want to because the world is their home. This is their home territory, and he has done nothing to upset them The world is all too accepting of sin. And don't worry about it. It's fine. And you know what? To err is human. Don't worry. There's no such thing as sin. All right, that doesn't make enemies of the world. And so we have another question. Are you a friend with the world or are you an enemy of the world? Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Why do they need to be wise as serpents? Because the reality is that like, the world wants to destroy us if we are truly following Christ. And we don't get to be wolves who devour them. Instead, we have to be sheep who are careful to love well not put ourselves before persecution or even death. All right, now, caveat. There are some of you that the world hates because you're just a big jerk. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) That's not the same thing. (laughs) All right, you're like, oh, everyone everyone just just, just has a problem with everyone to say because you're, like, rude and offensive. All right. (laughs) You're just a wolf. They don't like wolves either. Um, So, just be careful. You have to think, all right, like, Am I really opposing sin? And if I'm opposing sin, uh, am I doing it a winsome, careful, loving, yet convicting way? Am I taking opportunities when I get them? Am I willing to make enemies in speaking the truth? If we are not, Jesus was, and he is far more obedient than we are for us. Our prayer that is that we might, in love for him, walk in that same path. All right, so Jesus, uh, he waits, but then he goes. All right, so he goes up, and in spite of the danger that's before him, but he does so in secret, verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he went up, not publicly, but in secret, 
The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some say he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. All right, just for clarity's sake, did Jesus lie to his brothers? No. All right, so he said, no, I'm not going to go up with you. He didn't say, no, I'm never going to up, go up. It's saying, like, I'm not going yet. All right. Uh, he's not lying to him. Cool. All right. uh, he doesn't do that. But what is he saying? He's saying, I, no, I'm not going to go until the time is right. And halfway through the feast, the time is right. His father calls him, and so he goes. All right, that's where, all right, we're not supposed to just be fearful cowards who are afraid of the world. No, if we are called to go, we go. And Jesus is called to go, and so he goes. He is sensitive, and he's faithful to his father's leading. And you can feel the tension here. You can feel they, they want to find him. And the people are, are torn about who he is. And yet even the ones who, who are ridiculing or contrary to Jesus, even they can't say it openly because to give Jesus too much thought and consideration puts them at danger too. Right? The Jewish leaders don't want even Jesus to be on the map. Nonetheless, the the talk of the feast. So it's not that Jesus is crazy. It's, it's a, no, this is reality. And yet he needs to clear up this confusion. He needs to speak. He needs to reveal himself. And so he goes, verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to, to teach. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So that uh, people said this about the disciples as well. Like, this is, Jesus did not go to rabbi school, just for clarity's sake. But when people hear his teaching, they think he must have. He sounds like someone who has studied, who has learned, that he's received too much stuff from someone else. This cannot be his own. It's authoritative, it's new, it's beautiful and captivating. Where did he get it from? Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. All right, Jesus is constantly pointing back to his father. Yes, it is from someone else. It's from my father. I only speak what he speaks. We have seen this before. They should see that this is the father speaking. If they can't see it, what's wrong with them? If they cannot hear the Father's words in his speech, what's wrong with them? If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. All right, what's he saying? He's saying there's two different kinds of people. People who want to do the will of God. They want to obey and they want to glorify God. Those people, they know I'm speaking the truth. But the people who don't want to do God's will, who don't want to follow the Father, they reject me. Why? Because Jesus' whole message is one of conviction. He's telling them that they're, they're sinners. 
He's telling them that they're under judgment. He's telling them that they're, they're pretending to be good people isn't enough. And in reality, their hearts are, are wicked, and they don't actually love the Father, and they've rejected the Father's Son, who is telling them what they need to do. Now, if you don't want to hear that, what's the easiest way to make that go away? You shoot the messenger. If someone's telling you, you need to do this, and you don't want to do it, you just you reject the person who gave it to you. You aren't doing the will of God. I, I want to pretend that I am, so I'm going to kill you. All right, that's, that's the transaction here. All right, we have all done that. All right, have you, have you ever heard someone tell you something that is painful but true? And instead of saying yes, we say, how dare you tell that to me? Or who are you to talk to me like that? You don't know me that well. You don't, you've never even spoken to me. How dare you rebuke me, first off? Or, like, you do the same thing. You're no, spe- you're no different. You're not special. What is all that? That is shooting the messenger. And if you don't want to hear the message, just destroy the one giving the message. And you don't have to deal with the actual message itself. But that anyone who has heard this realizes, okay, they know it's true. Because they're not going against it. They're just denying the one who speaks. Now, I want to warn you. The Jews, they had to reject Jesus because they were already committed to God. And they, they had built up their identity around the fact, that, like, yes, I obey God. Well, I do His will. And so they had to kill the one who said contrary. Now, our culture, we go one step further. We shoot God. Right? And we say, well, no, well, maybe God doesn't exist, so I'm not, I'm not breaking his, his law. I'm not doing anything against his will. That's our way of getting out from under it. As we deny the reality of God, not because we love the truth, or because we love science, or because we love reason, but because we love sin. We shoot the messenger. The one who would tell us that we have to change. It's the one that needs to be taken out. Jesus then, he has to to keep speaking to people who are hard-hearted. And he defends himself, saying, I'm not all about my own glory here. This isn't about me. Verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In him there is no falsehood. All right, what's another way of getting rid of someone? Is you say, well, you're just telling me for, for yourself. You're just trying to get me to follow you. You're trying to make me your slave. You just want to be king and lift yourself up. That's actually uh, Nietzsche. That, that's, that's what he said about all truth. It's like every truth is just one big power play so that, you, so that the person proclaiming the truth can get power. You say whatever you want to say so you can control the narrative and, and be on top. 
All right, Jesus recognized that same reality. Not that creative. Uh, but it's true. If you're speaking out of your own authority, you're speaking for your own glory. And Jesus, he's saying, like, I, I'm not trying to use you guys. I don't want to be king. I don't want to, I don't want to usurp power. I want to die on your behalf, and I want to glorify the Father. I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for him who you have committed to following. And that's where that talk with his brother is actually really important. Because if he said, yeah, I just want to gain a big following, then he's false. He's using the people. And you can disregard the things that, yeah, he just says that to, to get us. That is not Jesus' motive. He does things for for Father's glory. And he appeals to the Father's authority. And that's actually why they hate him. It's because they, they are pretending to follow the Father. And if they're pretending to follow the Father, then they can't have the Son tell them that they're not. Now, do you, do you see that same heart motive inside of you? The temptation to not believe so you don't have to follow. Your love for sin battling against your love for Christ. Or your belief in Christ, your willingness to hear this message. Please don't think that you're just so enlightened. Maybe you're actually really blinded by your own sin and your desires. Now, Jesus is not, but he, he wants them to see that they are. So, final point. Final point. Jesus is, has followed God's timing. He's spoken God's word. Now, he's, he's revealing to them that he's actually the only one who's been doing God's will all along. Our final point, the law and the Sabbath. All right, verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Has Moses given them the law? Yes. All right. He's given them the law, yet none of you keeps the law. Well, quite the accusation. Why do you seek to kill me? All right, there's a pretty obvious way they're not keeping the law. They're not keeping the sixth commandment for trying to kill him. Now, what is how they respond to this? The crowd answered, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Oh, that's like just really defensive. All right, how do you disregard someone? Oh, they they just have a demon. Well, it's like it's like really low blow. <laughs> oh, you can't hear listen to anything they have to say. All right, and in verse 25, actually a bunch of people are like, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. Like everyone knows they're trying to kill this guy. But they're so motivated to blind themselves that Jesus has a demon when he's saying the blatant, obvious elephant in the room. Because how could they possibly be breaking the law and not keeping the commands of Moses? But, this is the hypocrisy. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marveled at it. 
What was the one work? He healed the paralyzed man. After 38 years of being paralyzed, Jesus comes and heals this guy. And they marvel. Wow. And then they thought about it a little more and they thought, oh no. If someone can do this, we have to follow him. And he's also saying crazy things we don't want to listen to. So how do they decide to marvel at what a sinner he is? He is a breaker of the Sabbath. He is a demon-possessed break lawbreaker, and therefore we don't have to listen to him. All right, no, no, like, who cares that they, they're breaking the sixth commandment of murdering people? No, Jesus broke the sixth commandment. He is truly evil. All right, so Jesus defends himself, and it's kind of fun. All right. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. What's he saying? He's saying there's a lot of laws. And sometimes you have to keep a law and prioritize a law over and over other ones. And he's saying you do this all the time. For instance, some of you have circumcised your kids on the Sabbath. You've done a work. Because you, you, you have to circumcise your kid on the eighth day. Sometimes that lands on the Sabbath, and tough, that's when you do it. And what is he saying? He's saying that doesn't, that's not an evil work? That's not breaking the Sabbath? What about when, uh, when people preach on the Sabbath, and, and priests offer sacrifices on the Sabbath? Are they working? What about the worship leaders? Are they, are they doing work on the Sabbath? No. That's silly. Of course they're not breaking the Sabbath. Verse 23, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, whole, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So you'll make someone ritually healed, ritually clean on the Sabbath. You'll do one work on the man's body, but you won't do another. One that heals the whole person? All right, it's foolish. It's foolish. See with right judgment. Now, there's actually there's, there's a little bit more depth here. Oh, I, this is getting long, but okay, stick with me. I can feel your feelings. I get it. All right. Uh, all right. Stick with me. Uh, all right, there's, there's levels here. Just like there's kind of like the, like, I'm going to go to, to Jerusalem. Just wait. It's going to be a good work. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm also doing some good stuff here. Circumcision and Sabbath-y stuff. All right, what is the Sabbath about? The Sabbath is about this promise that someday God will give eternal rest and freedom from all sin and judgment and suffering. And he's saying, you realize it just healed someone from paralysis. Isn't that kind of Sabbathy? Giving them freedom from, from sin and evil and destruction? Isn't that kind of the point of the Sabbath to find rest? 
And maybe I'm not the, the Sabbath, right? Maybe I'm the Sabbath fulfiller who makes what ha- should happen on the Sabbath actually happen. Real rest and peace and freedom. And if circumcision is supposed to be this like, oh, it's a beautiful picture that one day we'll be cleansed and, and our sin will be cut off. Maybe I'm the one who's actually going to fulfill all that. So it's no longer just this, this dead sign. It's actually real. What then? And that's what Jesus says, like, I'm not the one breaking the commandments. I'm the one fulfilling them. All of them deep and wide. So that all the promises might be yes and amen. That is what Jesus is doing. He's doing the will of God and that the world is rejecting him. Are you blinding yourself? Are you fooling yourself? Do you see the evil that you do and are you actively trying to justify it? Do you hear the Savior and you're actively running from him? Do you know the truth but want to lie more? There's no life there. You cannot close your eyes forever. One day every knee will bow. And everyone will see that Jesus Christ is Lord. You cannot deceive yourself forever. Now at the end of the day, what do we say? Thank God that we have a Savior who does not kowtow to the world, who doesn't wink at sin, doesn't just run and do his own thing. But no, he made his whole life about dying and living and dying for us. He gives us his perfection and his holiness and his righteousness and dies for our sins on the cross. He could have become great in the world, but instead he died for our sins. Praise God for such a Savior. And not just praise God for such a Savior. Let us love that Savior by doing the same thing. Let us hear his words. And let us have true freedom from fear of man and love for the world. Let us love Jesus far more than we love the acceptance and pleasure of the world. Let us seek to please him and love him and worship him. And believe him. Amen. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you for the one who sent Jesus to come and die for our sins. Lord, we thank you that Jesus opposed the world in its sin and its selfishness. And Father, we thank you that Jesus opposes us that he opposes us in our foolishness and in our brokenness and in our self-deceit. Holy Spirit, would you use uh, would you use your word to open our eyes to see Jesus in all his glory, to follow him and love him. 
would you make us honest people who know our hearts? We thank you for the salvation that you've offered. Would we embrace it with full hearts, we pray in Christ's name.